So, we are in Romans 3, 1 through 20, so if you have your Bibles, uh, get there. Um, real quick, while you're turning there, I'll give you a quick update on the church plant in Milford. Um, so, we have been in... A, we're looking for places to hold services right now, um, hopefully starting September 14th. And we have been incredibly blessed to have multiple good options to choose from, which not many church plants get. But if there's one thing you guys could be praying for, please pray that we are able to gain um, added trust and credibility in the community. And we know that's going to come with time, but uh, be, be in prayer for that. So Romans 3, 1 through 20. Let's read. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And why not, as we are slanderously reported... And as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp, which is poison snake, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. But there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So basically what we've, what we've done here is we've hit uh, sort of a sticking point. It, throughout Romans, there are many places where what God is saying comes against what our culture says so much that many people put the brakes on. And they say, what is this? What is this? A sticking point, basically, the way I like to illustrate it is, we're coming into a political season, and you might see a candidate and say, you know, I really like that guy, but he is for this or for that, or she is for this or for that, so I'm not going to vote for them. That's a sticking point. It's one thing that holds you back from buying in to what someone's saying. Now, if we're building this skyscraper, this is the point where we're digging with the backhoe, we're hard at work, 
and then we come across a dead body and everything goes to a halt. Everything stops. We're calling in the crime scene unit. We're scratching our heads. We don't even know if we want to continue the work because there's this dead body there. And we're like, oh my goodness, what is this? Because if I, if I, read, if I read this right, if I read God's words right, what it's telling me is that my heart is wicked, my family's heart is wicked, everybody that I know is evil deep down, and that is something that is completely countercultural. You know, if we look at chapter 2, what we just learned that is that the family of God equals those that do the will of God, and so now we're answering the question, who actually does the will of God? Does anybody do the will of God? That's the question here. That's the question here. And so our main point is that we all stand unjust before God and therefore condemned apart from our perfect Savior. Like I said, this is countercultural. It goes against the things that we believe about ourselves. Just think of this. If you've ever been at Dunks and you get in the pay-it-forward line, as long as you're not the one to break that chain, don't you feel great about yourself? You say, man, I just paid for somebody's coffee and they paid for mine. Aren't we all great people? And if you're on your way to church on Sunday morning, that's another one. It's another check. If you raise your hand during worship, man, you have hit a hat trick for God that day, and you are pumped. And I only say that because the Bruins play tonight, and if you don't know anything about hockey, don't worry, because I had to Google what a hat trick was. So, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) Our culture tells us we're really good people. We're really good people. That's what our culture tells us. That's what we hear. That's what we we like to think about ourselves. That's what we like to think about our family and our friends. But the question is, who is a good person? So to explain this passage, I just want to do something. Imagine that this half of the room, one group of people, and this other half of the room is, is another. And if you're in the middle, just you get to choose. So on this side, imagine with me for a minute, these people believe in God. They, they know there's a God out there. They even have a book of his words that he's written, a law that he's given, and they follow it to the T. They love to follow it. They have a long history with God and who he is. And they find, or they try to find, their standing with God in what they do, in how they work. Now this this other side of the room, we can say that they're everybody else. So it's a hodgepodge of people. This side of the room, some of them believe in completely other gods. Some believe in that they find their spirituality in nature. 
Um, most really just, just live for, for themselves and what they want and what their family needs. But at the end of the day, they, they too believe that they're good people. And if you told them that there was a law written on their heart, they would, be, they would say, I follow it. I'm a pretty good person. So is my family. So are my, my friends. And that's an easy way, kind of a simple way, to explain what we're, what we're faced with in this passage. Imagine that this is a courtroom. And over here we have the Jewish people. And over here we have everyone else. The question is, do either of these groups stand righteous before a holy, just judge? That's the question. And so if we've examined anybody, everybody here, and and we see these two groups, we must also examine the judge. It's when these questions come up. First of all, we need to know if we are unrighteous. If this group here that that says they know God is unrighteous, does that nullify the righteousness of God? Does that make him unrighteous just because this group is righteous? And we would say no, because God is the perfect just one. He is holy, righteous, wonderful, and he stands apart from everyone else. The second question that needs to be asked is that if our unrighteousness stands against the righteousness of God and therefore proclaims him as more holy or more righteous than we are, then why are we judged as sinners? If God gets something out of it, basically, why am I being judged? That's the question. Why am I being judged? Because, as we know, and as we've heard, and as we're learning, that God is a just judge. He is the perfect holy judge, and He does not, does not, and cannot, and will not tolerate unrighteousness, sin, the unjust person. And so, when our hearts well up with sin and we say, well, I'll just do evil so that good may come, what does that mean? That means that we can never do that. We can never do those things because we are supposed, supposed to follow after our perfect and holy God. The judge is perfect. That's what Paul is proclaiming here. And so if the judge is perfect and we are imperfect, then the question is, and the answer to the question is that no one can stand, no one by the law can stand as perfectly righteous in front of our just judge. Just as simple, just as simple as that. But like I've said before, this, this doesn't, doesn't line up with our culture. It doesn't line up with what we believe about ourselves. So how do we get around this sticking point? 
How do we begin to set aside our preconceived notions about who we are and begin to look at God's word and say, maybe this is true, maybe this is right. Well, first of all, we have to start looking at ourselves and not at other people. It's easy for us to look at somebody else and say, man, that person's unjust. Man, they can never be justified in the eyes of God. That's a bad person. I don't like them very much. That's easy. We do it all the time. But we need to turn and begin to look at ourselves because keep in mind, Paul says here, he says that we Jews, as well as the Greeks, the Gentiles, everybody else, are all charged under sin. He puts himself in the same camp and says, I am in just as bad a position as everyone else. Just as bad a position as everyone else. And so we must begin to look at ourselves. Forget what you heard on the news last night. Forget what you read in the paper, but begin to look at ourselves and our own hearts because if we fail to look at our own hearts, then this, we're not going to get it. We're going to be stuck. The crime scene unit is still going to be out and we are never going to move past this point. If you're a believer in this room, though, if you know who God is, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you are a follower of Jesus, what does this all mean for you? What does this all mean for you? What I hope, what I hope that this text will do is I hope that through this, we can realize that our hearts are wicked. We're in the same position as everybody else, and we can use that to begin to root out sin in our lives. In Romans 7, Paul says, the things that I do, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do, and it's all because of the sin indwelling his heart. Remember, God does not give us permission to sin. God gains glory when we root out sin in our lives. That can only come through His help. So what I want you to do, first of all, though, is give God glory for His mercy. If you've been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we should fall on our knees and praise God for His wonderful, glorious mercy in this passage. That's it. We have to. We have to. Because what this tells me is that none of my deepest motives are good. My heart is in fact terribly wicked. And so for God to have mercy on me is an amazingly great thing. Realizing this fact should help us to begin with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit to begin to pull out sin in our lives. There is nothing sadder than a Christian that has been a Christian for years and years and years and thinks that they are absolutely perfect. I've met many 
And it's extremely sad because they no longer grow in their walk with Christ. They no longer grow closer to him. They think they have attained a perfect level of being. Let us not, let us not fall into that. Secondly, I'm going to speak to a group that says, I'm not buying it. I don't care what you say. I don't, I don't care what the Bible says. But I can buy into God being just. I can even buy into Him being the one that justifies us. But I just don't believe we're as bad as you say. I don't believe we're as bad as you say. I'm not buying it. Not buying it. I met a guy this this week. Um, I've known him for a couple of weeks, but I've been trying to share the gospel with him. And this is his sticking point. This is where he says, I'm not buying it. He doesn't believe deep down that his heart has an issue, that his heart has a problem, that he desperately needs a Savior, but because he can't live up to God's perfect righteousness on his own, he can't match God's character. But he refuses to believe this, and so I I propose something to him, and I'll propose it to you. Simply this. If you don't buy it, then try it before you buy it. Try it. I say, go, go home. Let's take 24 hours. 24. And let's see if we can be perfectly righteous. Not one bad thought, not one word in our minds or out loud to another person that's evil. Not a foul language, no lust. No bad word, deed, or action. Let's see if we can do it. Let's see if we can do it. And so, if you're not buying it, I urge you to try it before you buy it. I'm going to tell you a hard story. And it's hard for me to, to, to bring here. Because it hurts. It hurts me to remember. But we, we need to hear it. When my, my grandfather on, on my dad's side, when he was um, in his later years, he began to, to get sick with dementia. And as you know, it can be a slow process. But towards the end, towards the end, he began to, he would cuss us out for the slightest thing. He would say, Horrible, terrible things to us. And, and I remember my dad coming home many nights crying. Just crying. We weren't really allowed to go anymore because of how bad it had gotten. It was, it was horrible and it, it was hurtful. As he began to lose what it is, whatever it is in our, in our minds that keeps us from doing the things that we really, really want to do deep down. 
and what was really in his heart began to spill out. He was a he was a Christian man. He was a believer. He loved Jesus. But as his mind began to fail him, he could no longer suppress what was in his heart. Unfortunately, it became out, and we didn't understand that as a time, and I just remember the pain and the suffering my dad went through in that. You see, his heart was bad. Just like my heart is bad. It's like your heart is bad. It hurts to hear something like that, doesn't it? Because we know, we should know deep down, we're all in the same position, the same predicament. And so really, honestly, if we're standing in a courtroom and the just judge is looking at us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we've had the words of God, we know who God is, if we have a history in our family and our lineage with the almighty, true God, Yahweh, or we don't. We all stand helpless before Him. It's because our hearts are bad. Because our hearts are bad. Because we have the knowledge of sin, we can never resist it. I want to explain it to you this way. We have hearts inclined to sin and an environment inclined to sin. If you look back at Genesis 3 and the Garden of Eden, when they began to sin was when they knew sin. It separated them in their relationship with God. It separated them in their relationship with each other. Separated them from God's perfect, holy place, the garden. They could no longer live in relationship with a perfect God in His perfect place because once they knew sin, they couldn't help but practice sin. And through the law, the law written on our hearts, the knowledge of good and evil, neither can we. Because we have hearts inclined to sin and an environment inclined to sin. And once we know sin, we will do sin. We will do it. There is no way around it, no way to escape it. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Because our hearts are inclined to sin, then we cannot find ourselves in this perfect, holy relationship with God. This is not 
easy to grasp. It's a sticking point for a reason. It holds us back from buying into the gospel or it can. And if we don't put focus on this, believers, I want you to know it will hold us back from growing in our faith. Will. Will grow us back. It will hold us back from growing in our faith. So where do we stand before a just judge? Well, we know that we stand as the unjustified ones. Everyone in this room. Who does the will of God? No one does the will of God. So what does that mean? What can I do? Do I just sit down and and give up and say, well... That's it. I'll just live my life as I want to live it. And that's all. Or, is there another option? Or, is there another option? Because we learned who is just. We've learned who's unjust. But we also have to realize that God is not only the just judge, but he is our justifier. He not only stands as the perfect judge, but he stands as the one willing to justify us. And that's only done through the saving work of Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus lived an absolutely perfect life, and he lived an absolutely perfect life. He died for our sins. He took the punishment for our sin. And when we place our faith, trust, allegiance, all those words are are wrapped up in the Greek word for faith, when we place all of ourselves at the feet of Jesus, when we believe in his saving work, we gain his righteousness. His perfect justness. We gain that. And so, when we were standing before a holy, righteous God, he sees us as he sees the Christ, the Messiah, the one that has come to redeem. The one that has come to redeem. So I want you to realize here that there is but one way to know God, and that is through the work of Jesus Christ. And so I call each one of you believers, if you have forgotten this truth, If you don't live by it, remember it. Remember it and work with the Holy Spirit to begin to root out sin in our lives. But realize, this side of our eternity, our hearts will never be perfect. They can never be perfect. By the law, no one will stand as just before God. And therefore, those of you that have never trusted in Christ, I call you and urge you this morning, 
to trust in him. And don't, don't wait, don't put it aside, but trust in him. And if you do, place your allegiance in front of the feet of Christ our King. Tell somebody. Tell somebody here. Tell your pastor. Somebody. The charge has been leveled. The book's closed. The just judge waits. What's your answer going to be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we pray for our hearts. Do not let us be stuck on what our culture tells us, Lord, but but Lord, let us realize the wonderful truth of your gospel, Father. Let us submit our lives to you. Let us realize that we have nothing apart from you. And Father, let us act on that. Let us place our faith in you this morning, Father. Lord, pray for each and every person in this room that as we begin to realize just how wicked our hearts are, Lord, that, Father, we will fall at your feet and we will praise you for your wonderful mercy. Your wonderful mercy. Everything in our culture tells us that we are good people. That we are deserving of eternal life, that we are deserving of love. And so, Father, I pray that we will not, not fall victim to that lie. But, Lord, that we will look to the truth of your word and your gospel. And, Father, that we will know that it is only through Jesus Christ that we, an undeserving, unjust people, can know you. Father, don't let us be stuck. Work in our hearts and our minds today and let the truth of your word pervade our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.